0: morning jeff and welcome back to the Local Pilio paleo show
1: thank you so much for having me again this is uh wonderful to be with you guys and to talk all things mushrooms and wherever else it goes
0: uh, yeah <laughs> be careful they grow uh, opinions are like mushroom they grow pretty
1: far pretty wide I mean, yeah you know. well, Well, and and you know, the old joke that I hear a lot is, oh, yeah, I I feel like a mushroom because I'm, I I grow, I'm kept in the dark and fed bullshit.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is very true. (laughs) Apparently that quote was, um, uh, how do you say, um, Charles de Gaulle apparently said that.
1: Oh, easy now. Well, why not? I mean, in France, the mushroom that they grow is called the Champignon de Paris. It's like Paris, the yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and the reason is that that particular mushroom, which is the button mushroom, was yeah. originated there and was growing in all the limestone caves all around the Paris area. And the reason they were underground in these caves is because it was just the absolute perfect climate, about 58, 60 degrees Fahrenheit. And that one mushroom, which is really interesting, this agaricus mushroom does not need light to grow. And most mushrooms need light. So yeah, it was just a perfect um, match for growing mushrooms. They didn't have to build a building or anything. They just put them down in the mines. And in the old days, they used to
0: uh, use um, uh, horse manure to to grow it,
1: right? As well, a- yeah. And, 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 you know, it's interesting because they're not actually growing it out of horse manure. But what happens is uh, in the stables, they lay down bedding, which normally was straw. And yeah. so they would take that bedding, which had the horse manure and the urine, and they'd pull it all together, and then they would composted. And of course, horse manure is just full of microorganisms. And that's what a compost does. It is a Hmm. microbial decomposition. So ultimately, that straw was broken down to a point where it became very selective for the mushroom that they wanted to grow. So it's a really interesting process. And one of the things I love to tell people about mushrooms is that they grow on agricultural waste products that otherwise, what are we gonna do with these things? What about all that straw? What are we gonna do with all this straw that we've got? So any kind of agricultural waste, wherever you are in the world, that's one of the first things a mushroom grower will do is he'll look around and go, what do I have to grow my mushrooms on? So you're converting uh this waste into a high quality food.
0: Right. And in those days in Paris there was no car, so it was everything was horse drawn. And so they had a lot of poop to scoop up. Yes. And they used that they used that because they didn't you know, in the city they didn't have cows, so they used that I, as, a, as a growing medium.
1: It's fascinating to look at some of those uh, old films or even new films that show the carriages, horse-drawn carriages in the cities. And you're just thinking, oh, my God, what was it like? Was it an army of people scooping it up or half of it just got left there and it rained and all the rest? And it's just like, wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You wonder how they managed to live through well, that literally yeah
1: and let's face it the sanitation in a lot of those cities in the 1800s and early 1900s was not good no 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 that's how they learned to sidestep everything right <laughs> so you had to dance down the street is that what you're that's saying That's
0: right. yep yep <laughs> good morning mark i almost forgot you there
2: did you? No, that's okay. I I don't mind being forgotten. That's fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How could anybody forget Mark? Come on. I know. Jeez. He's
0: just being quiet as a mushroom.
2: This is very true. This is very true.
1: Okay. Um, hopefully
2: so hopefully a bit a bit prettier. Imagine, <laughs> I suppose Jeff thinks mushrooms are pretty.
1: Uh, well, do you know, I ever? They're beautiful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> of course you're talking to an expert. So uh, Jeff, thank you for coming back on our show to talk about your COVID-19 experience. I hope you are safe and well where you are. And uh, can you refresh our our memory and tell us more or remind us who you are and what you do?
1: Sure, Um, I uh, started a company. Well, I I started growing mushrooms commercially on a very, very big farm in 1973 and this farm employed 300 people. At the time it was um, growing 2 million pounds of the button mushrooms per year. And uh, I was there for 10 years and I literally was living with mushrooms. We had 200 crops of mushrooms per year on a 90 day growing cycle Um, so I got to see, you know, this process from start to finish from building the composts that the mushrooms grew on to harvesting to, you know, the whole process and, and think about this for a second. Every week we prepared 320 tons of fresh compost. 320 tons (laughs) our our compost piles i mean if you're into composting our our compost piles were six feet wide six feet tall and 200 feet long wow that's we had a machine we had a machine (laughs) that would actually drive down this pile it took uh probably a couple of hours to get from one end to the other because when you're doing commercial composting you have to essentially turn it every right. two or three days or else it'll go anaerobic because we're mm-hmm. doing an aerobic fermentation there but it was just mm-hmm. absolutely fascinating um after i left the farm in 1989 i started my current business called namex which we supply uh, medicinal mushroom extract powders to other companies, which take our extracts, put them in capsules, bottles, or, or however, put their brand on it and take it to market. We also have a, a, a retail division called Real Mushrooms, where we sell them to uh, consumers. Um, all of our mushrooms, interestingly enough, are grown and processed in China. And there's a very good reason for that, which is that growing mushrooms for supplement use is very, very expensive. Um, mm. One of the things I want you to, to think about here for a second is um, every single mushroom you have ever eaten has been harvested by hand. Mm. Uh- somebody has touched that mushroom to pull it off the bed it's growing in or whatever it's growing on to put it into a basket which ultimately gets to the the um stores uh so so growing fresh mushrooms is is uh, and making a profit you can do that no problem at all um but Remember supplements are dried powders, mushrooms like most vegetables are 90% water. You dry that mushroom out, you're getting $5 for it fresh. Now you have to get $50 for it as a dried product. The economics do not work. And for that reason, um, no mushrooms grown in North America, actually end up in the supplement market The economics don't work and i realized that because i had a background in commercial mushroom growing so i went to china early in 1997 i took ocia which is one of the largest organic certifiers to china with me and we had the first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in china 1997. so we've been we've been growing our mushrooms organically uh actually certified by high quality Australian certification agency and and, uh, tested extensively. I totally believe in testing. Uh, We have markers. We don't try to build up anything in our extracts, but we have markers where we're looking for our beta-glucans in there, uh, ergosterol, the fungal sterol, and a couple other compounds. So we know exactly what we've got, that it is real. We can present that to our customers to give them a guarantee that they're actually getting a true mushroom. Uh, you know, it's like, have you ever been in uh, the, the uh, market, supermarkets, let's say in the United States and you, you wanna, you know, maybe you look at the fresh mushrooms going, no, they don't look very good. I'm gonna try some of these dried mushrooms. And you look at these dried mushroom packages, sometimes mm. it's like 15 grams for $3. Right. It's it's absolutely crazy. So the economics don't work, and that's why we grow all our mushrooms in China. And interestingly enough, 85% of the world's mushrooms are grown in China. Mm. 85%. It's, it's just amazing. And, and that's something that j- the Japanese, the Koreans, the uh, Thai- Taiwanese all figured out back in the 80s and moved their production right over to China which was one of the reasons why it just stimulated the mushroom industry there and there are tens of thousands of small growers in China it's amazing.
0: Hmm. I have a um, couple of questions one is when you were working on the farm were you growing a mushroom between your toes as well?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now that's the kind of fungus I don't want. (laughs)
0: Okay (laughs) the other question is what and and this may be too technical but i'll give it a try uh which is the most efficient as far as uh, composting uh cow poop or or horse poop
1: (laughs) cow poop is not very good no the the horse manure is much much more active in fact cow manure is never used for uh, a commercial mushroom Compost but you know you know what cow poop is really good for <laughs> it it is uh, there are mushrooms in the world that are psychoactive that will grow directly out of cow manure if it's the right cow and if it's the right part of the world. this mushroom is uh, is actually uh, is a heat loving mushroom and so it grows in subtropical areas of the world okay. So uh, then the question becomes, how do you manage to get
0: all of this um, horse manure in, considering uh, there's
1: not that many horses anymore? Well, you're absolutely right. When I, when I arrived at the mushroom farm in 1973, they were hauling it in from the racetrack that was 60 hmm. miles away. So hmm. they were able to get uh, as much as they needed, but As they expanded and grew, that became more and more difficult. So they would contract for tons and tons and tons of straw that would come in every season and they'd store it there for use over the year. So they'd bring in their own straw. And then also we would use other types of supplements in there. One of the common supplements worldwide is chicken manure. Lots of that available. Yeah. Um, we also used what was called grape <clears throat> pumice, which grape pumice is after you've squeezed the grapes, whether for wine or grape juice or whatever. You have uh, stems, you have seeds. Uh, mm. We actually would process that grape pumice, uh, dry it, grind it to a powder, very very high in carbohydrates so it would be this wonderful activator that we could put into our compost pile it would really heat it up because one of the things about a, a compost pile is getting the carbon nitrogen ratio correct and uh, certain materials like that grape pumice were high in carbs so you know sugars so you put that into the compost and man it would just light a fire mm.
0: yeah because um those bacteria, they grow on on uh, carbs, right? Sugar, carbs.
1: Well, well, you know what the the this compost is is a fungi. It is a bacteria. There's a full uh, complement of different types of microorganisms that are in there, and uh, many of these are are heat-loving microorganisms, and so there's a real interesting process because during this uh, composting, you could get up to temperatures of uh, approximately 80 degrees Celsius, you know, 180 degrees Fahrenheit, very, very hot. And and at times I, I at one point had a, a really interesting rod that I could poke into the pile and I could measure the temperature anywhere in that pile to see that it was composting properly. And the whole thing was to keep Everything as tight as possible so that you didn't have too much air flowing in to cool it off. No, so you wanted it tight enough so not too much air, but you still did need air to go in because it's an aerobic fermentation. So there's, right. there's, uh, and, and then actually, this the final step in this composting was we would take it indoors in trays in this case put it in a big room, a steam room, bring it up to 140 degrees Fahrenheit for a pasteurization type step, and Mm. then slowly lower the temperature over the course of about five to six days to where we would stimulate the production of very specific bacteria and fungi to do the final, uh, let's just say finishing the final fermentation on this compost to where the whole idea in a mushroom uh, uh, growing uh, media is to make it selective for the mushroom you're growing. So this compost was very, very selective for this agaricus mushroom. That way, when you planted it into this compost it would grow out very rapidly and other things would not grow so it was a very very specific uh, type of fermentation and process.
0: So you're telling us you have uh, different recipes for different mushrooms different compost recipes?
1: (laughs) Well you know what it's the the agaricus actually is one of the few mushrooms out there that is commercially grown in a compost most of the mushrooms that we grow are wood decomposers
0: mm-hmm. so
1: so in nature they're growing out there on a log um, some of them may be parasites growing on a live tree but a lot of them are just growing on on dead wood uh, mm-hmm. so what we grow them on is sawdust um, we'll grow reishi mushrooms on a small cut wood log of maybe six inches in diameter, maybe maybe uh, eight to 10 inches tall. We, that's what we grow reishi on, but all the others, we have a standard little, what you'd call a synthetic log that is um, sawdust with uh, a nutrient like rice bran in it. And that's what um, uh, turkey tail, lion's mane, shiitake, maitake, almost all the other mushrooms are growing on this sawdust substrate. Interesting,
0: very interesting. So this is, all of this sounds very scientific as well.
1: well. Well, it is certainly, I mean, the number of mushroom scientists out there, you don't hear about them very often, but there are hundreds, thousands of mushroom scientists in the world. And what's really interesting is that when I first started in the industry, um, Pennsylvania State University in the United States was, had a actual department for uh, mushroom growing and for mushroom scientists there. And the reason was they had a very large industry in Pennsylvania, a mushroom growing industry. In fact, at that point in time, uh, they probably grew well over 50% of the mushrooms in the United States from that one state of Pennsylvania. So they had, um, and I I was able to meet because we went back for courses and things uh, you know, half a dozen, a dozen of these different mushroom scientists today at Pennsylvania State University, there's maybe only three or four left. They, right. they just, and, and, and when I went to China and, and I went to, when I first went over there in 1989, I went to a international mushroom conference. And I met scientists and for the next 10 years, when I traveled in China, I went to research institutes. I went to conferences, I saw processors, I went to farms. They have hundreds of mushroom scientists and research stations in China. It is just amazing. And may- maybe that's a, a fact of having so many people that you can have well, that many working in one particular field. Not only that, but correct me if I'm
0: wrong, but it's also very much in their culture to eat uh, mushrooms and especially
1: um, uh, healing mushrooms, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, you go into the marketplace there and you've got 12 to 15 different edible mushrooms that you can get fresh and, and, and any of those dried. And so, I, I mean, they even have cordyceps fresh in that market, I, uh, we we grow a, a cordyceps. We don't grow the the um, caterpillar fungus, which is the wildcrafted cordyceps. Caterpillar mm-hmm. fungus is wildcrafted up in Tibet, and mm-hmm. today the value of it is a, around twenty thousand dollars a dried kilogram. Uh- <laughs> Well, not only that, when I tried to introduce that into the supplement market in 1992, people looked at me and they just said, I don't think our our customers want to eat caterpillars, sorry, you know, and, and it's like, besides they're vegetarians, come on, caterpillar meat? No, I don't think that's going to work. So, uh, so, so it it is, you would never find that wildcrafted cordyceps in our supplement market in North America. In fact, even in China, it's only consumed by the wealthy because it's given as presents and nobody can afford it except the very very rich well we've gone completely around that and today we grow a different species called cordyceps militaris it has been used interchangeably with the caterpillar fungus we can grow that, we can cultivate it. It's the most beautiful fungus you've ever seen. These cordyceps are like uh, uh, small blades of grass. You look mm-hmm. at the, uh, when they're growing, they look like a, a lot of little worms growing and standing up. Mm-hmm. And this this particular species is bright orange. Mm-hmm. Oh God, it is beautiful. It is so, and and when I was over there a couple of years ago, they served it with the meal, uh, a platter of this, and you look down and you see all these little orange squiggly things there, and you're like, "Huh, kind of interesting," but it's like, "Oh, was that delicious? It had the wonderful mushroomy flavor. It was great." But that is a very very powerful herbal medicine.
0: What well, what are the benefits of that particular? Sure.
1: Well well cordyceps they used to use it primarily for uh, neurasthenia or people who had been sick they were they'd gotten over it but they were lacked energy they were still fatigued. That's when they would use cordyceps for these people. I mean there's also there's also the use of cordyceps for um, um, people's uh, libido that's another and that, that's kind of a, a famous, use of cordyceps which has given it a certain you know aura of you know okay cordyceps yes right. uh, personally I, i'm like look if you really need something for your libido just take uh, viagra or something like that work much better absolutely will work you don't need to spend you know a hundred dollars on you know however much of this wild cordyceps no um but Uh, Primarily, it's used for fatigue and lack of energy. And and that's interesting because who do you think is using it in the supplement market? Well, anybody kind of selling an athletic performance type product. And here's just really an interesting little story in the 1990s, 1993, 94, uh, a group of women runners in China were breaking all sorts of records and people were like, what is going on? And the coach uh, claimed that he was using cordyceps. Hmm. And all of a sudden it was like, Oh my God, cordyceps, uh, you know, stimulates this and that. And if you're an athlete, you use cordyceps and you got this great advantage. Well, it turned out that that was not true because later on, in the end of the '90s, when they when they were finally able to analyze for EPO, uh, human growth hormone, uh, they discovered that they were doping all along and Cordyceps had nothing to do with it, but the coach actually had a product. So I think he did well, Right. (laughs) but he was ultimately, he was ultimately fired at that point when, when uh, you know, they, I mean, you know, so many groups of athletes in the late nineties got busted. Hello, Lance Armstrong for doing these particular performance enhancing drugs before they could actually test for them.
0: Okay. Well, let's go back to the COVID situation. Uh, How is it uh, now? I understand you live in Canada now uh, for the the time being um, until they allow you to get out again. Uh, Are you still confined? What has been your experience through this the past six months basically?
1: Well, you know what? In British Columbia, we've been fairly fortunate that there haven't been that many cases. So there has been no what you'd call lockdown mm-hmm. or or real you know okay you can't go out um, except maybe once a day and we're going to check your you know permission and all the rest and and where I live in my small community we haven't had a single case it's a community of two thousand people uh, but we haven't had a single case I personally have not been affected in any way. Um okay in in our town which is a tourist town a lot of the stores shut down um and it was just like the supermarket and uh, pharmacy and things like that that kept running and and okay people would use a mask um but but ultimately even in the supermarket I could walk through there Without a mask, they put up plexiglass between me and the cashier. They wiped things down. I couldn't bring my my own tote to haul my groceries away. I had to use one of their boxes. There, um, mm. it was. It was really, you know, and, and still is not uh, that difficult. Right now, the town is full of tourists, mm. um, and, and um, you know we've got all the social distancing rules in place. When I'm standing in line at the supermarket, they've got X's on the floor, this kind of thing. But but really, it hasn't affected me that much. What really has affected me is leaving the country. I can't really leave the country. But, you know, let, let, me, let me just talk about something that I find really fascinating. I mean, it's been a time when we 've learned a lot of interesting things, and one of the things that I think is the most fascinating is the benefits of vitamin d mm-hmm. so many uh reports about the levels of vitamin D in people who get COVID and don't and, and it's just, I just think, you know, and, and they've sort of shown and this seems to fit in with so much of the research that I've been reviewing over the last couple of years on vitamin D on, on how it's such an essential vitamin that we should all be consuming. And especially those of us in the North who, who are, are covered up a lot of the time and, and even in the summertime um the sun the way it hits us in the north is still not as strong as it is in other areas so we still don't get the full benefits of of that sun and vitamin D so so i i um took that information and i went okay yeah vitamin D um everybody should be taking it and and uh, at what how, how much and and you know it's sort of okay you can take a lot or you know i think the rda is 400 to 600 ius a day or something like that but normally people who take it take a thousand or two thousand ius a day and then i also looked at the information on zinc and i went zinc yes an old friend of mine yeah <laughs> i used to i used to take zinc because i i read about zinc years ago, and it was like, yeah, if you're going to take one particular mineral, take zinc. It shows up in all sorts of places as being an important mineral. So, okay, the wheels are spinning in my head because one of the things that has happened to us is when this thing hit, our sales went through the roof. It just like what, I mean, look, in the last four years, mushrooms have Sort of finally reached that tipping point where everybody is like, mushrooms, wow. I had no idea that they were such a great food, that they had all these benefits as a supplement. And that's just kept going. So, I mean, uh, my business has uh, the sales of probably quadrupled over the last four years. I mean, it's just gone through the roof, not just our, our raw material sales, but even our, our retail sa- sales. I mean, some of the products went out of stock immediately when COVID hit and people really started to look for something. Well, immunological enhancement, of course, people want that. And so mushrooms all of a sudden became one of those herbs that people were like, yes, we want this. We've read a lot about it. So we're gonna go out and we're going to buy these mushroom products. And so so really, um, as I surveyed this situation, I went, you know what, um, man, vitamin D, uh, zinc, mushrooms, I thought, that's what I would love to be taking because I've kinda, I don't take a lot of supplements. I really don't. I feel like most of what I get for my health comes out of my diet. If my diet's good, I'm not gonna need to supplement. I use our reishi mushroom in the morning with my coffee. But I thought, you know, yeah, I should probably be supplementing with D. I should probably be taking my zinc. So I went, okay, I'm gonna create a product uh, I'm going to put our mushroom extracts together with 30 milligrams of chelated zinc with um, 2,000 IUs of vitamin D. Put those three together. Now I've got the perfect supplement for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so we've got this product out now. It's called Mushroom D2Z. I'm just like, brilliant. This is just so great. Because again, for me, it's like now I've got all three in one place where all I have to do is is take this one product and I'm getting my zinc and my my vitamin D and, and here's the beauty of it. Now, I don't know if you've gotten into the weeds with vitamin D at all, but vitamin D uh, comes from different sources and the primary vitamin D out there is D3. Yeah. And D3 comes from lanolin, from wool. Yes. And, and um, <clears throat> when you look at that process and how they are getting that D3 out of the lanolin it's not pretty, no. not pretty at all. And, and, and um, they use chemicals in that process to ultimately refine it and all. Okay, I thought, okay. But the, the interesting thing is, mushrooms have a compound called um, ergosterol.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, uh, vitamin D that, that we produce uh, is actually from our uh, cholesterol that's what is being the uv is hitting our skin and the cholesterol that's 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 there in our skin <clears throat> basically is what turns into vitamin d3 right. Right. so so <clears throat> uh, fungi have ergosterol and that's the fungal sterol when you expose mushroom powder to uvb light, it turns the ergosterol into ergocalciferol, which is the vitamin D2. And vitamin D2 has been around forever it's something that i don't know if you the history of vitamin d but where they finally figured out that we needed it was back in the uk in the 1800s when the industrial revolution was like pumping all sorts of of uh, uh smoke into the skies blotting out the sun building these cities where you've got you know high buildings and, and, uh, the sun's not reaching down very often. And so all of a sudden they had an outbreak of rickets and they're going, what the hell is happening here? We've got rickets in the cities, but not in the countryside, right? They ultimately figured <clears throat> it out. And so starting in 1830s or forties, they started supplementing diets with, vitamin D2, because they could create that from yeast, which is also part of the fungal family. So vitamin D2 has been around a long time. One of the world's experts on on vitamin D uh, has stated categorically that the two act in the same way, because there's a little bit of a controversy out there whether D2 or D3 is better and all of this. He claims they have the same activity, they will do the same thing. There may be some small differences, but it's just as good as D3. Well, the beauty of it is that all I'm doing is taking a mushroom powder and exposing it to UVB light. That Mm -hmm. turns that mushroom powder into a very high uh, value vitamin D. And I'm just like, isn't, this wonderful so so the product i'm talking about is uh reishi and chaga mushroom extracts 400 milligrams uh and then i've got this vitamin d powder from a mushroom Mm -hmm. and i've got the chelated zinc in there and you know i'm just like I, I love the idea that we can actually, and we've got uh, a just a pure vitamin D product that we sell in the real mushrooms line. That is, um, uh, every capsule's is a thousand IU's of vitamin D, and it's from just mushroom powder, no processing involved. That's what it is, right from. So, so for one, you know, if you're a vegan, of course, that's a perfect choice for you. But also, it's in a sense, plant-based, it's simple. The processing is very uh, gentle there's not much going on there. So I, for me, I'm just like, this is what I love. I love this kind of stuff. It's like, that's what I love about mushroom growing. We're using uh, waste products to turn them into a high quality food, ultimately supplements. And here we can take those, those uh, mushrooms and actually produce a vitamin D powder. I just think that's the most wonderful thing in the world.
0: Well, it 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 proves again that nature has everything if you know what to
1: look and and how to uh, handle it. Yeah, it's right. it's just fantastic, and and so, so I'm I'm still waiting to get my hands on the first bottle. It's it's out now and it's just into the marketplace. I'm like, okay, when are you gonna send it to me? I want right. some. <laughs> so
0: um, I already know the answer, but I, I thought I'd still ask you online. Uh, uh, you were not in China when this whole uh, virus popped out, right?
1: No, I wasn't there. Um, and and, and uh, well, we were there last year in September for an international medicinal mushroom conference, right. which was really which was really great fun, really enjoyable. Um, and we go there every year to do farm visits and right. to meet with our, our production partners over there. This year, unfortunately, that's we can't do that. And, and I was talking to my brother who again lives in Shanghai and he was telling me, if you come into China, well, you have to go through two weeks of quarantine. Right. <laughs> and he said he knew somebody who recently did. And he says, you don't get to choose which one of these isolation hotels they put you into. So he said, his friend got put into a hotel where he said, you know, it was he he called it a three-star, which maybe in China is you know not quite, maybe it's only a two-star or something. He said right. the the hotel room they had put plastic down on the floor right. of this hotel room that he was in, a- and he couldn't go out. <clears throat> uh, they had to bring everything to him, but some of the other hotels, like the four or five stars, <clears throat> four or five stars, they could actually send out for meals but in this hotel no they just had to take whatever the hotel gave them so so this this poor person oh poor person <laughs> was yeah. stuck there with like services lesser than his station really uh should have given him
0: <laughs> well sometime you have to do the best you can going yeah. back to go, going back to the health uh, aspect of it uh i believe you and i and and mark agree that the uh, Best protection against this is a strong immune system.
1: Yes, can you absolutely. can you
0: talk to us? Can you talk to us about it and how your products are supporting the immune system?
1: Sure. You know, you know, what's really interesting about fungi and the mushrooms that we sell is that in their cell walls they have a component called beta glucan, and mm-hmm. this beta glucan is a part of the fiber in the cell wall. And one of the things about mushrooms is that they are mostly carbohydrate. And a lot of that carbohydrate is fiber. So mushrooms are very high in fiber. So when you're eating them as a food, there's a lot of fiber that is going through and you can think of it as a prebiotic. It's actually feeding your microbiome. So Mm -hmm. these beta-glucans, what's really interesting about them is that we have a receptor site. We have these receptors that actually are specific to beta-glucans. And there's been a lot of, lot of sort of um, query about why. And they think that maybe that is, um, because what happens is when the beta-glucan comes down and locks in with these receptors, they will stimulate the production of uh, immune cells. Uh, mm. So they will produce uh, macrophages and uh, NK cells and ultimately cytokines. And the the um, theory is that we have that to ward off fungal diseases. Right. That, um, so, So. you know, okay, I, I don't know. So the, these ultimately are theories on why we have these sort of things. But <laughs> the bottom line is that these beta-glucans are what give mushrooms their medicinal quality the fact mm. that they can they can stimulate these uh immune cells and and um that's why that's why mushrooms are considered to be a um um, um adaptogen you know right. an adaptogen is something and it's kind of an interesting term it's it's something that's non specific uh, something that uh, Helps to create balance, and, and you know, for me, the way I look at health in general is that, and I think this is kind of the the Eastern view of it, is that um, something is out of balance
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, uh, to create the illness that we've got, and so the whole idea behind medicine. Is to bring us back into balance. What is it that's creating this imbalance? Where where is that coming from? Is it is it actually be a pathogen, or is it uh, something else that we're doing in our life that's creating that? So so what we're really after is we're after. Uh, some kind of homeostasis, which is where the adaptogen has sort of gotten its name is is uh, helping to promote homeostasis. And the other thing that I look at in terms of mushrooms, and this is where the whole immunological aspect comes in, is that mushrooms are something that we should be taking as preventive medicine. This is something that is not necessarily, oh gee, I'm getting a cold, I better ramp up my mushrooms. It's, it doesn't really act that way. They really are in the background. We need to be taking them continually. They're there helping us out, out helping to sort of create that balance, help us in that way. Uh, so I look at them as really prevention. And, and I look at them as kind of a classic food as medicine. That to me is, you know, you know, is, isn't that really what we want our food to be anyway? Uh, yes. We want it to be you know, not only nutritional and feed us that way, but medicinal in the sense of it's also helping us in, in ways to to um, ward off um, disease. And, and, you know, the other thing I, I like to say here too is that I, I don't subscribe to, to these kind of, we've got to fight this, oh, we got to fight it and kill it, and nah, you know? And it's like, this is something that, you know, I was sort of taught being an American because everything for them is kind of in that sense, us. Yeah. yeah. Now look, maybe, <laughs> war. maybe it's a yeah, war. Yeah. Well, exactly. And you look at the language the, the, they use for everything. A, They've got that same language, the war language that they use. And
0: it, yeah. Some, it just, uh, you know, someone, someone you might not like has said uh, recently that it was a war against the invisible enemy.
1: <laughs> well, well, sure. I, I mean, that's classic, you know, the way that they will present these things and the language they use there's the in the US, I've seen so many different wars, like the war on poverty, the war on drugs, you know, everything's a war on something. And it's like, you know, I just reject that metaphor as being inappropriate. We may struggle against these things, but, but, you know, I look at it as we're, we're in a, in a ecosystem here where everybody is just, you know, essentially trying to get along. Some, sometimes we have challenges when something has, has uh, um, infected us in some way, we have challenges, but, you know, it's almost like if, if you act like water, you know, and water is just kind of flowing and you just kind of flow around this and flow around that and go with the flow here. And, and, uh, you hit a rock and you flow around it. That, that's kind of, to me, what life is really about, you know, it's not about, you know, hitting a rock and then trying to break your way through it. Yeah, <laughs> That's really not it. So, so that's how I look at it. And that's what I love about mushrooms is they're, they're part of, uh, this, food as medicine which you know i look at all my food that way i look at it as this is nourishing me in so many ways it's just like what i love broccoli broccoli is my favorite vegetable and and it's like not only is it a great food but then you start to look at the chemicals in broccoli and and what research has told us about that and it's like it's a fabulous food and it's another food is medicine and so right. so really this is this is the way i like to picture all of that and and that's where you know, mushrooms will fit in with these these beta glucans, and they're very important. And that's why that's one of the compounds that we will measure because we think that's a very accurate way to to guarantee that our products have what should be there, uh, and and uh, we try our best to maintain the profile of that dried mushroom when we do all of our extractions. We're not trying to build up this or build up that. We just want the extract to have essentially the same level of beta-glucans as the, the uh, mushroom itself. So we know it's like 30% or, or 50% or whatever that may be. What's interesting is two of the mushrooms that we hear the most about, uh, reishi mushroom and turkey tail mushroom, have the highest level of beta-glucans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just, I, I found that so fascinating when we started to do all our analyses. It was like, wow, isn't that interesting? Reishi, which is so highly revered, has the highest level of beta-glucans of all these mushrooms. Reishi mm-hmm. also has other compounds, triterpenoids, which are are give it that sort of extra um, ability that, a lot of the other mushrooms don't have but which i think set sets it apart and that's why reishi is kind of a very special mushroom but but i I just found that really fascinating in terms of the beta glucans
0: oh yeah i have a question that might be um sound complicated but i'm sure you you'll get and i I hope um uh, i can express it uh, properly so mushrooms keep our um digestive system and uh, gut healthy which the gut health has an influence on our moods and how we um, feel you know as as far as mood depression so on and so forth would you say that in this difficult time where a lot of people are depressed would you say that your mushroom can also help the mood uh, elevate moods people's mood?
1: Well, you know what, that's really interesting because um, one of the mushrooms, lion's mane, they've been using it in uh, clinical trials for uh, uh, early onset dementia, Mm -hmm. uh, depression. And, and, you know, bringing up this whole idea of the digestive system and, and its functions on depression. That's one of the areas where they've used lion's mane traditionally too, It's for the digestive system. So not only does it have these compounds in there that stimulate uh, what's called nerve growth factor, which helps to organize the uh, neurons in our brain, uh, not only to stimulate that, but it also has, and I don't know exactly what the mechanisms are because I haven't read a lot about that, but, but, it's kind of interesting that you should bring that up because I, I never would have put that together until now. And so now I'm thinking, well, maybe that's one of the other reasons why it has this benefit in terms of, and why they're using it for dementia and depression and so on. But, but, you know, um, I don't know. if You mentioned,
0: with- you, you mentioned, uh, earlier the effect on mushroom on, uh- certain mushrooms on neurasthenia, which is a fancy word for depression, isn't it?
1: I, I looked at neurasthenia as being, again, sort of that tiredness and and fatigue. Okay. Um, that's that's how I've defined it, at least what I've read about it. And, and maybe there's multiple uh, different aspects to neurasthenia. Um, but... That that's how I've seen neurasthenia and with cordyceps, but you know, I, well, I mean, well
0: re- recently there is um, there's more and more studies of the, the the gut and its health and its environment and so on and so forth, and there's uh, more and more uh, research proving there's a there's a connection between the gut health and the brain health. This is what I'm trying to get at.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand, and and uh, that is is such a fascinating topic, and especially the that aspect to it that the gut health and the gut and the microbiome. I mean, a lot of people are are kind of saying the microbiome is to some degree controlling us in certain ways, and, mm-hmm. and uh, um, certainly in terms of our health, it's it's a, a big Part of that. So, um, but I haven't read deeply enough on that subject to really be able to speak to it much at all. But, but obviously, that is, is something that is very, very important. I mean, there, there's a few other mushrooms that are have been used for gut health too. Uh, chaga, for one, has, that's that's a classic um, use of chaga um, um, and, and then lion's mane. And and maybe maybe that's uh, that's just part of uh, diet generally, and and the way that it, diet is so important to keep us healthy and happy.
0: Mm-hmm. Besides the other kind of happy mushrooms.
1: <laughs> well, that, that's interesting as well because <laughs> you know uh, psilocybin mushrooms—they're using those for depression and for. Uh, mental health issues. And uh, I I think that is, you know, look, as a uh, child of the 60s, and having watched prohibition in North America and worldwide uh, on any type of psychoactive plant or mushroom, uh, to finally see the research coming back and being allowed to proceed is such a positive step forward and what they're finding out is is what i i would have expected and most of us have kind of known all along is that it's a very very positive um mushroom uh compound that has tremendous benefits in so many areas i mean they're using it for addiction using it for end of life issues. I, I totally support this movement. I, I mean, frankly, I didn't expect they'd ever legalize pot. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I, I thought it was gonna be, you know, and, and when I was smoking it and I did for many, many years, uh, I just thought, okay, it's, you know, it's illegal, but I don't care. And now that it's legal, I don't smoke it that much. So it's kind (laughs) of—it's like, well, you know, I've got to be an outlaw if I do something. Right, right.
0: So now we know the truth. The real reason why you got into mushroom business is because you used to grow your special mushroom, right?
1: Oh, Elaine, don't tell anybody. (laughs) Uh, uh, We'll keep it a secret. Yes, that's right. Are we recording? <laughs> well, so, look, look I, I, I wrote a book called The Mushroom Cultivator. It mm-hmm. was published in 1983. I was a co-author of the book, and um, it's got very clear instructions on how to grow mushrooms at home, mm-hmm. including psychoactive mushrooms. And because of that, that book has been very popular It still sells 5,000 copies every year. Yeah, I mean, it's still selling. And that is 40 years ago. It still sells 5,000 copies a year because it was just a great guide. And, you know, it's 400 pages. It's not a small book, 400 pages, but very detailed instructions on growing mushrooms at home. Well, now we know where to go. (laughs) <laughs> you do indeed, yeah. So,
0: so going back to the COVID situation, um, do you have any special recommendation on how people can uh, not survive? That's the wrong word, but you know, get over this without too much uh, damage, whether it's
1: emotional or,
0: or health
1: wise. Wow. Well, I don't know. I, I tell you, it's a very difficult situation. I mean, I, I'm kind of like, okay, everybody, get to your bookshelf and start reading, because you've got, uh, I, I, you know, it's just so uncertain. For one, we hear different things coming out from those who who tell us about, you know, the government and all the rest. Those those people, it's like we we're getting conflicting information from them. Yeah. -hmm. Uh, The the problem with the way they're addressing it is that, okay, you want to shut down, and and quarantine, great, and then uh, at a certain point you start to bring it back to normal. Oh oh, guess what? We've got another small cluster. Let's go back to quarantine again. How long can you do that? You can't. I mean, the damage that they're doing to people by doing that is is outrageous, especially. know it's absolutely outrageous
0: constant fear you know uh fear relief fear relief and they keep you on the edge and yeah. um i i feel they they're trying at least some of the experts uh they drag it out until we have a vaccine so they can vaccine everybody and get rich in the process
1: you know what i i totally agree with that and 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 look you really are gonna rush a vaccine out there to us? No, thank you. And and then the whole idea that we have to be, everybody's gonna have, I mean, that's my biggest fear is that you will not be able to travel, uh, enter a country unless you've got a a permit that says, okay, yes, he's been vaccinated. So he's clear to go. In China, actually, they do have this system now with your smartphone, it's uh, basically, uh, yellow green red and wherever you go you've got to show that and uh, unless it's green you cannot pass if it's yellow or red you, you you're stuck you're not going anywhere. right right it's so, uh, so, basically so, it's basically bill gates wet dream oh it absolutely is and i don't trust the man Completely. <laughs> you know I mean, I mean i mean look bill gates is a convicted monopolist they got him back in early 2000 he kind of rules the world with his uh, windows operating system that's why i don't use any microsoft products
0: well i guess that's why he's getting into bugs now because he's he's bought he's bought millions of dollars of shares into uh different uh pharmaceutical companies that are working on vaccines right
1: now oh yeah absolutely he's he's i mean i mean very deep into vaccines i mean right totally into that so he's uh, and and you know what look if you if you start to get into it and read a little bit about him and his vaccines it's not a pretty picture um so anyway i'm i'm not waiting for a vaccine and and i don't get a flu shot every year no a lot of people do i don't get a flu shot i I don't believe in that really i i I feel like look i'm i'm healthy and and um half the time that flu shot is not for the right strain of flu anyway yes
0: Yes. not only that but the I from I understand is the P- PCR tests when you've been taking the flu shots the PCR tests will pick up on that and and claim you are positive for the virus when it's just leftovers from the previous flu shots
1: yeah yeah right uh, it, yeah and, and you know uh, that's the, the the situation for me that I'm really worried about is that they're going to use this as a method of basically tracking and tracing and and maintaining where you can go and where can't you you can't go and and just starting to restrict people i mean i mean really we're getting to a point where we can't even leave our country or enter another country without even more permits of some point so they're really sort of restricting us in that way and and i i don't like it period.
0: Yeah, no, that's I'm absolutely with you on that. And I believe Mark is, is as well. Uh, it's a it's a matter of um, just controlling the population, like uh, the same way they tags, they tag animals, right? They'll, they'll be tagging us
1: and microchipping Absol- us. And absolutely. You can just coming, you know, it's just like, it's just like, I've been watching the whole thing of, of, digital money and watching you know the, all the little trial balloons about okay we're going to go cashless and you know you hear about it for years and years and slowly they they're working towards that and and that's where it's going it's there's no question in my mind that we'll be cashless in 10 years uh, if not earlier and certain places are already China's pretty much cashless at this point in time I mean it is right. like everybody I mean and and look the other thing is is if you don't have a smartphone you can't travel. It's Bye. that simple. You may not even be able to live a life without a smartphone. And Bye. so that's the other side of it too. And, and I just call, the smartphone and the and the people using them, and not all, everybody, obviously, but the zombie apocalypse. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I don't care where I am, walking down the street, and there's zombies walking around, and they're just like this the whole time, and I'm just like, right. oh my god. Or you get on any sort of public transport or something, and everybody's sitting there like this. It's like, okay, I, yeah. I kind of get it. This is a me- this is some little machine that was made for people waiting in line or or yeah. something else. It's the new book. Where you can stand stand there and play games and like, okay, I don't care if I'm in line, I'll just play games for the next couple hours. That's right.
0: Yeah, it keeps people quiet and and, and more <laughs> more docile. I mean, that's right. You know, in the old yeah, days when you yeah. when you get in line and somebody tried to get cut in front of you, that was hell to to be paid. Right now, it's like people don't care anymore because their their mind is somewhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what's your, what's your take on mask as a, on the the mask?
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? It's, it's one of those things where, you know, it just gets bounced back and forth. I I read something this morning and it said that of all the patients that had had gotten COVID recently, some study that was just done, they said that, uh, uh, 80% of the people were merit were claimed to be wearing masks all the time. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay. Um, I also just I've been watching the reports out of Sweden. And I just saw something this morning from Sweden and uh, a woman there uh, had a video showing her getting on the the subway and uh, everything. Nobody's got a mask on. Yeah. And, and, and say what you will about, oh, yeah, well, they had a, a lot of deaths, more than Norway and all the rest. No. Yeah, they kept their economy running. And in terms of the uh, actual, from what I've seen anyway, they're not getting this second wave the way a lot of these other countries are. I, I just think the thing about it is is that you can't shut everything down because you've got a cluster of cases, then kind of try to go back and then have to shut it down again and again. Yeah. And again, how long can you do that while you're ruining people's lives and people who who are may, maybe they need to have different surgeries or medical uh, types of uh, of uh, um, issues that they need taken care of? And you've got you know life isn't just isn't going on like it should. So there's right, of- right, and and
0: that's one thing that people never or at least uh, the uh, the media doesn't ever focus on is that all of these hospitals that are shut down to everything but COVID, then you have all these other sicknesses, you know, um, heart disease, cancer, blood, uh, kidney disease, so on and so forth, that do not get treated and they are not getting their treatment as needed. And the death from that is... Tremendous, not not to mention, not to mention suicide and alcohol abuse and so on. Oh yeah,
1: all of the above. Plus you've got uh, a tremendous underclass that now does not have those gig jobs or whatever they are to make money. You've got so many businesses that have been shut down. Uh, Yeah, I mean, if you're in the restaurant industry i feel sorry for you because uh, i mean look at it they they're making it so that nobody wants to go to into a restaurant anymore uh well, and, I, and i used
0: to drive i used to drive for uber and i lost that gig because well
1: yeah well there you who, go who wants we, to take a chance yeah exactly so so um you're driving people into poverty and, and, you know, if you're in the wrong place, I mean, if you're in Canada, you're, you're you're probably pretty good because we've got a great system here. If you're in the United States, you are in bad shape. They've already got tent cities all over the US um, with poor hygiene and people that are just on the edge. And you think right. those are doing better or or worse right now? I, I mean, no, no, it's, no, it's, no, it's been a disaster.
0: We're looking at potentially millions of people uh, on the street additional on the street because of uh, this situation people losing their jobs and left and right and mostly in the lower social economy level because you know all the high tech people pretty much they can work from home microsoft just told his employees from now on you just work from home uh going back to um There was an interesting, uh, I think it came out yesterday, Dr. Navarro from the CDC claimed that the lockdowns were extremely um, detrimental to economies. Finally, the CDC admits that the lockdown is not a good idea.
1: I found that to be a very positive statement. And and I thought it was about time. And, And, you know, unfortunately in the US, everything in the u.s gets politicized it's it's like you're on one side or the other it's like you're either for them or against them and it's just this ugly situation where where you know at a time when they you absolutely don't need this kind of thinking and this kind of politicization of everything that's what you've got down there and and you get people that are being shot in the streets, over their political beliefs, groups coming together. It's just insane.
0: Well, speaking of the one we shall not name, uh, what did you think about the situation where he got sick last week and then within two, three days he was out and he was fine again? Isn't that a positive sign for the rest of us? I mean, for people that are afraid of the virus?
1: Well, you know, it is. It, unfortunately, it's just you. You just don't know in any kind of these situations. But, but, but certainly, it it can be taken that way. You know, unfortunately for this man, he's he doesn't really know how to express himself very well. So he's always, you know, sort of like saying things that that you're just kind of like shaking your head. I mean, it, it's he's not he's not that great a communicator. Let's put it that way. I like the fact, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm not on either political side. I like the fact that he, he has to go directly to people, but sometimes what, you know, like with Twitter and stuff like that, but sometimes you're just like, what are you saying here? Really? You know, it's like, and so both sides to me are, are so corrupt. It's just like, it's just a corrupt country.
0: Well, some people uh, claim that there's a, there's a reason, a reason behind all this madness when it comes to the one that shall not be named.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> you mean to say we're we're a, we're in a forum where we can't even say people's names? That's where it's gotten well, to. Right? Well, you this know, is, this is funny, you know, we, and, and we, I understand. I, <laughs> I, I have really to, I
0: have to assume that a lot of our followers are against him. So we'll just. We'll keep him, uh, I know, I know.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's funny because I have a brother who's a deep, deep supporter of the president. Right. I have lots of friends who absolutely hate him. And, yeah. and it's like, you know, I, I just kind of stay out of it because I don't want to, I don't want to get involved in that because to me, the political system in the US needs reform desperately needs reform. And I don't see any reform on the horizon at all. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm just not gonna get involved here and say too much. I'll watch it from a distance, but I, I, you know, it's just Let's just say that
0: the next few weeks should be very interesting.
1: I know, I know. You're going to have the whole world on uh, election night. The whole world will be tuning in to see what happens. (laughs) Right. And And, and, it's it's kind of funny for me because it's like, you know, the worst thing possible. You've got one side that has demonized Russia, you've got the other side that has demonized China. I, I mean, all those tariffs on China. Really hurt me a lot because we have to pay duties on products that we bring in. And that's mm-hmm. just giving money. It doesn't, you know, it, it hurts me, no one else, because that money just goes right to the government. It doesn't yeah. hurt my suppliers at all. It hurts me. And, and I haven't raised prices on my customers, but if they were to uh, jack those up even more, I would probably have to put a China surcharge on, or I, I would call it maybe a US government surcharge. With, right. with what it is. So, so you know, I, I do have an interest in that sense, but otherwise, you know what? I, I, I've, I've never seen it quite so bad. And as somebody who was born and raised in the US, I, I've never seen it this bad. And it's really unfortunate because it is, it is creating a civil war of sorts.
0: Yeah, well, um, let's hope it doesn't turn to that after the, the day after the election, right? Man, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so back onto um, more solid ground. Um, any other suggestion you have to for our listeners before I pass it on to Mark?
1: No, not really. I, I, I uh, you know, well, I, I guess one thing I, w- I would say, is, and I say this to everybody, is, is put mushrooms into your diet. Um, it's a fabulous food. I call it the forgotten food, the missing link. Uh, put mushrooms into your diet. Um, you will not regret it. They're, they're delicious, wonderful food, uh, especially shiitake. Shiitake is mm-hmm. my favorite mushroom. Most people can get it if they're in a metropolitan area. So, so try shiitake, great mushroom. And uh, put mushrooms into your diet and be sure to cook them properly, high heat. Um, cook them well. Um, if you put them on a low heat, you know what happens? The water comes right out of them, they're sitting in a puddle. And then, and then you hear somebody says, "Oh yeah, mushrooms are so slimy. Hate them." <laughs> it's like <laughs> well, you didn't cook them right. You got to cook them properly. So anyway, that's that's one of the things I
0: definitely. So, so uh, can you elaborate? And when you say "I heat," you mean dry heat, like oven, or uh, pan fry instead of being um, cooked in water, for
1: example? Well, well, what I'm saying is uh, um, <clears throat> when you're frying them. Yes. Um, Uh, put them on a high heat. I mean, you, you you know, if you're baking them in an oven, that's a totally different thing. But if you're frying them, don't fry them on too low a temperature. Um, Make sure that, because as soon as you do, you you can just watch them. The water just starts coming right out and then they're just swimming in a pool of water. Mushrooms are, are going to shrink. You kind of, you kind of put them on that high heat, you kind of sear them on both sides, which browns them up a little bit. They always shrink. So if you put in, you think you got a lot of mushrooms in there. You got half as much when you're finished. Um, So, so um, I like to brown them up, cook them a little longer than normal, but uh, in a hot pan, hot fry pan, I I use um, either olive oil or canola oil, something like that for my frying. And, and they're wonderful. They're great. I, I, you know, I I eat uh, mushrooms, uh, probably four or five days a week, I'll eat them. And I don't eat a small amount. I need a lot of them. I mean, I can sit down and eat 200 grams of fresh mushrooms and without any even thinking about it. Last night, I had a wonderful steak and I had, uh, you know, at least 200 grams of fresh mushrooms that went with that that I ate.
0: Well, you know, for a vegetarian or vegan mushroom
1: is a great alternative to meat, right? absolutely is a great alternative I, I mean you know i said mushrooms are primarily carbohydrates but a lot of mushrooms have a good amount of protein with a very good amino acid profile there's only one essential amino amino acid that's missing so yes absolutely uh, great to supplement in terms of protein agaricus is uh, 35% protein so that's one that people should definitely look at shiitake is about 20% but regardless they're both really excellent foods
0: well, okay. I think I'm done on my side. Uh, Mark, your turn. You didn't tell me it's a tag team here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when you thought you were done, you're not done yet. I know. He's going to
2: oh, just throw,
1: throw me to the mat.
2: Exactly. Well, I mean, what you probably didn't realize is that Alan was asking you the easy questions.
1: Oh, perfect.
2: Um, I've been taking notes, and I'm going to ask you the hard ones. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, one, one thing you did say that sort of amused me quite rightly, um, when talking about masks very uh, a little bit earlier, you said that 80% of those people who proved positive for Covid had been wearing masks. Yes. Uh- yeah Sorry.
0: so I saw I saw that research uh, that research as well yes it's a fairly yes. recent research yeah oh yeah
1: yeah yeah I, I just saw that research I think it was yesterday that yeah. said that and I but with the mask you know they say, well, the mask you know that gets around it and this that and the other and, and and the the particles now they're finding their aerosol particles they're very fine they just go through it around it whatever and I, I don't know i I think you know in general um there's probably You know maybe good reason at times somebody sneezes nearby or whatever and maybe that'll help um but but um you know it's it's a fairly simple thing fortunately it's not like we're you know i just saw something yesterday believe it or not i saw something yesterday a company just came out with it's actually a space type helmet with a yes, big I, clear I,
2: glass. Yeah, so
1: it, so it, it looks like, yeah. yeah, yeah, and you, you can breathe. Got a breather port. It says it's not very comfortable to breathe through, um, but you know, I guess there's a place where you can put a straw <laughs> through it. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, is that where we're going? Where people are now mm. going to live in bubbles? Look, we cannot live in a bubble. Period.
2: Mm. <laughs> No, but the, the point yeah. I was making was if if eighty percent of those people who proved positive for COVID were wearing masks, that means you're four times as likely to get COVID by through wearing a mask than not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm looking at this study right now that says uh, is and there's a chart. This chart shows areas with the highest number of daily cases. Uh, in the past two weeks and 19 of the 20 areas with the highest COVID-19 case have mandatory mandatory mask mandates. So the places where they force people to put the mask on have the highest level of cases than the other kinds.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, you know, it's like, again, there's just too much conflicting information out there. And, and I, I just, you know, it's so hard to sort through it. And, and uh, you know, you, you run with one of the things they say, and the next thing you know, they've turned around and claimed the opposite. It's just, you know, I, I, I personally, I, I, you know, you know, we, we, to some degree, have used the Swedish model here in my community I mean, right now the stores are all open. They do have a, like, oh, only so many people at a time and you've got to wear a mask and all that. So that's not exactly the Swedish model. But, but you know, everything is pretty much open now. Um, I've seen people in restaurants, which is interesting. Um, so, so you know, but, but maybe it's just the fact that we live in a country that is much more socialized. That's the problem with the U.S. It's just like so unsocialized in mm-hmm. that sense. And people go their own way and have their own d- ideas, which, which is fine. But that, that does create a little bit of an issue when it comes to everybody getting with a program to do something, like in Sweden, it's a homogeneous population. So, um, but uh, you know, I, I think their model has worked better. I think fewer people have been put into a compromised situation from uh, economically. Which, which is really important.
2: Yeah. Anyway, Jeff, I mean, you've already given us a huge amount of information. So before we go any further, um, in case people want to follow up on what you've been saying, where can they get hold of more about you and what you do?
1: Well, our website is namex.com, n a mmex.com I've got a lot of information. There's slideshows on taking you off to our mushroom farms and all of that. Um, and then if you want the actual uh, consumer product, you can go to realmushrooms.com and that's where you can get our products uh, uh, in packages and capsules and bottles and all of that. So either one and Real Mushrooms also has a lot of great information there. So I, I really recommend people come to, just to get the information because it's, you know, that's the most important thing for us. It's just educating people.
2: Super job. Thank you very much. Now I want to take you back to a long, long, long time ago. Well, maybe not that far. He says thinking about being polite. Um, you said you started in um, your career as it were in, on a mushroom farm. But why did you choose mushrooms?
1: Well, you know, I I was kind of fascinated by mushrooms and, and, uh, um, even before university, I had a bit of a fascination about mushrooms. I I don't know exactly what it was, but of course, I grew up in a place Pacific Northwest of the United States of Washington state where the climate's perfect. Uh, in the fall, we have a fabulous wild mushroom season. Uh, so perfect climate for mushrooms. And then at university, um, with everything going on there, you know, and it's the 60s and we're, we're, you know, experimenting with different psychoactive plants. We actually had magic mushrooms growing on our university campus. We, we you know, I, I, I uh, in, in, in uh, um, the late 60s at the university I was digging into the use of mushrooms. My, my major was anthropology. I was digging into the use of mushrooms uh, by people uh, historically for food for uh, medicine and for shamanic purposes and and there was there was some really interesting information that' was starting to come out at that time because in the 50s a New York banker named Gordon Wasson um, got some information from others that there were groups of people in the mountains of Mexico still using psychoactive mushrooms in their healing ceremonies. can you imagine after all of this time and after the Spanish arriving in the 1500s and, and basically repressing all of the native religions and so on, there mm-hmm. were still people in the world that were actually using mushrooms in a, in a healing uh, way, psychoactive mushrooms. This was, this was huge news. It was a rediscovery of this and that uh, as well as other writings by other authors that were all of a sudden starting to come out I, I just became very fascinated with the whole subject and then of course by uh, the fact that they I found out you know that they grew in my area wild was like wow so so there' was there was a quite a, a, a movement in the Pacific Northwest during that period of like-minded people uh, not just for the psychedelics or psychoactive, plants in general, but for mushrooms, we had a whole kind of mushroom gathering in the late 70s uh, with the three other men, we put on four mushroom conferences that brought in educators on identification of mushrooms, um, uh, shows on, on um, use of mushrooms in a psychoactive way. Uh, I did workshops on uh, cultivating mushrooms at our, last conference that we did, the fourth conference, our keynote speaker was Terrence McKenna. <laughs> so this was like a really, you know, a really interesting time. And, and you know, when I got out of university, I mean, I, I went to Mexico, actually, I lived in Mexico for a year and a half uh, in mushroom country, just following that track. And then when I got back home, it's like, how do I get a job in, you know, with a degree in anthropology? And then I thought, well, actually, I'd really le- love to learn how to grow mushrooms. <laughs> so there's one mushroom farm in Washington State. I went there, applied, got a job. I was there for the next 10 years.
2: Excellent. Excellent. So, so, so it grew on you almost. Yes,
1: right? exactly. Not on my toes, but it did grow on me. <laughs>
2: um you said earlier that sort of vitamin d3 comes from cholesterol which as we know from
1: right right that's right yeah
2: through the action of sunlight do you find then it's a bit insidious the way that um, over the last 20 or 30 years we've been encouraged to cut down cholesterol when it's sort of uh, the source of something that does us so much good
1: isn't that so interesting yeah it, it is and uh You know, let's face it, that's the way that science, so to speak, has progressed. And you know, I think the other side of it is is there, you know, in the US and and in the West, we have competing food interests. Mm -hmm. And and these food interests, the food processors, I mean, the food processors were the ones that switched us from butter to margarine. My father switched us to margarine in the mid '50s, and he was uh, grew up on a farm, yeah. where they had m- real butter and real milk and all the rest. He switched us over. He had us taking vitamins in the mid '50s. Um, now, the one positive thing he did, in a way, was he he uh, kept sugar out of the house. <laughs> Turned me into a real bakery fiend. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, I, there, there's so many interests. I mean, look, go into a supermarket, go, go into the middle aisles. What do you see there? I, I mean, these are the interests that are controlling the food industry. And it's just like the the pharmaceutical industry. Big business is controlling all of that. It's the way they've kind of kept alternative medicine and herbal medicine uh sidelined th- th- this is how the world works in the west and it's and it's all a lot of very big players that ultimately decide what we eat what drugs we take all the rest
2: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so i mean if, if you could sort of um I to ask an, an unusual question if you could go back let's say to the, the beginning of your career is there anything that you wish you could have pursued and didn't get around to yet um
1: yeah to some degree it would have been uh interesting i think to have <clears throat> oh may, maybe gotten deeper into anthropology carried on with that i, I was actually not a very good student um, and even, even taking more courses in botany and, and, you know, I, I had a couple of mycology courses, <clears throat> but I, you know, having taken botany would have been kind of good. You know, honestly, I was not ready for university. I, I you know, I, I had the, the grades and all that, but <clears throat> I was not a very good student. So, you know, and, and look, it was the sixties the 60s was not a good time i mean it was a good time but it was not a good time to be a student There was too much other stuff going on and remember um for us in the united states um there was a war going on i mean we were out in the streets a lot too protesting the war uh so there was just so much happening then And, and plus it was just such a wonderful time for music you know, the sexual revolution was happening for God's sakes. I mean, were you supposed to sit back and do nothing there? I mean, it was like a really, really interesting time.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you're obviously then quite happy with the way life has sort of uh, panned out for you <laughs> in many ways. You certainly seem very happy. So, I mean, yeah, none of I, from a good health position.
1: I, I would say, generally speaking, yeah, I mean, you could look back and say, okay, there's a few things I should have done, <clears throat> but didn't, but in general, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with it all. I mean, for one, I have no debts, <laughs> which is a very good thing. And that's something I've got two very wonderful sons uh, who actually work with me in the business, which, which has been just fantastic because that means I get to talk to them all the time. I did not have that kind of relationship with my father. Maybe I spoke to him a couple of times a year.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So you're you're obviously a very, very happy person in the um, sort of in the the roundest sense of the word Um, with all these very nice products coming out. Now you you spoke earlier that you sort of developed one almost in response to the the COVID situation. Yeah, Um, yeah. Are there any more coming out that we can keep an eye out on?
1: Well, yes. I mean, we're, we're really trying to expand out the retail side of things and kind of develop. We don't want to be too much of a me too kind of develop product development, but we'll definitely come out with a, you know, our, our current vitamin D product is a thousand IU's. It's very expensive. And, um, once we get up to where we're in major production of vitamin D, we'll step that product up and we'll bring the cost down. And I think, I think that's gonna be kind of a revolution for us mm-hmm. and in, in general that you'll, you'll have these vitamin D products coming directly from, from mushroom tissue that um, will be uh, similarly Price maybe a little bit more expensive but they will be not nearly as expensive as what we sell them for now and i'm really looking forward to that and and you know there's always interesting new mushrooms that are coming along that have interesting properties we're always on the lookout for Mm -hmm. that and, and that's where going to these conferences like in this conference the medicinal mushroom conference last year in china was just so great because we met so many people we saw a lot of presentations about that um uh, you know, uh, so so in that sense, you know, the business is really something that will grow. It will continue to be creative. And, and part of that is having my sons involved because they are going to ultimately be those who take it forward, not me. I mean, I'm, I'm slowly, slowly, well, I, I'm pretty much out of day-to-day stuff as it is, which is great. Uh, we've got more employees now and I'm training people all the time to be able to take uh, some of the stuff that I do. I would rather be doing what I'm doing now, speaking to you, than and, and doing more creative things, uh, looking at the research and so on than uh, any kind of day-to-day stuff. I mean, I'm really involved in quality control because I really believe in that. So I'm really involved in looking at all the testing that we do and and new projects because we've got a lot of new projects for for our testing and uh, being able to test for example, lion's mane for some of the compounds there. So we have got all that. But, you know, really uh, what I love to do, Mark, is I love to fly fish for trout in rivers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's my passion. So that's what takes me to Argentina. And at some point, you know, I, I really got, the other thing I really am interested in is coming to the UK and wandering around, looking all at all of the ancient, sites, all the ancient stone monuments and dolmens and things like that. I'm very fascinated by that, too.
2: Yeah, and of course, in South America, you're surrounded by sort of very ancient uh, stoneworks and so on.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I love ancient cities. That's that I really love. When I travel, mm. I love to go to any kind of city that's still got that section of the city that's the yeah. old city, so to speak.
2: Yeah. I mean, you spoke briefly earlier about um, how mushrooms have been part of the diet um, and the medical usage in in many different civilizations throughout the ages. How far back have you traced sort of uses use of mushrooms medicinally, for instance?
1: Well, medicinally, you can trace them back to, I think, the... um about the second or third century, um, um, I want to say uh, A.C. Uh, is that right? I mean, the, I'm trying to, uh, or well, I mean it's B.C. But but basically, yeah, uh, that far back there, and and then the the actual psychoactive mushrooms, you can trace them back for thousands of years through rock paintings and uh, other types of ancient monuments and records that we've got Mm -hmm. out there. So uh, I think mushroom use has been around as long as, you know, we've been humans uh, looking for interesting things to eat. And and as we do, we come across these really interesting uh, plants that take us into other dimensions, let's say. So I think they've been around for a long time. And and there's actually some theories out there about the use of psychoactive mushrooms on, on our development, <clears throat> and I, I think that's really interesting as well. That, that's certainly a possibility. You start to take these things, and they're they're like <clears throat> giving you uh, this <clears throat> heightened acuity visually, mm-hmm. a, um, sense of smell, sense of taste, sense of hearing. All of a sudden, it's like sharpened 100, percent which kind of is interesting too, because it shows us what is possible. And I think that's one of the things that they do is they show us what is possible mm-hmm. because i think as we as we are are um programmed growing up it's just basically a matter of shutting us down to where we only utilize a small part of what we're capable of and only mm-hmm. what's necessary for keeping this uh, um, uh economic wheel in motion
2: yeah yeah that's very really true okay we, we've asked you other questions is there anything that we should have asked you and didn't Um,
1: not really. I mean, I think last time we talked, I did mention a bit about, you know, being careful about when you're looking at supplements that, and, and looking for supplements that are not manufactured in the U S because they grow this mycelium on grain product and grind it up and sell it as mushroom. And it's mostly starch. And so just have to be very careful about that. If you see mycelium on a label, don't buy it. Um, because that's what you'll be getting is mostly starch. So look for, look for uh, something that also talks about the beta-glucans and gives you uh, some at least. And, and then, you know, that's not always going to be a hundred percent. I mean, you know, look, supplement market is just a absolute jungle. Mm-hmm. There, there's just so many products that are not good products and, and the adulteration issues are, have yeah. never gone away. They've been there for thousands of years you just have to be very careful when you're looking at it. look at the labels and look up the company and be very careful because there's a lot of companies out there that build their brand on nothing more than marketing i mean think about the coca-cola how much they spend on marketing and how little they spend on that liquid in that can you know the liquid is worth less than the can right <laughs> and the liquid and the can are worth one hundredth of what they put into all their marketing maybe one thousandth of what they put into their marketing so there's lots of those kind of products out there that are all marketing, and you know, uh, I think it's funny. Maybe you've noticed that there's there's a formula now for for new websites, and, and it's just you know I, I see all of them, and I'm like, okay, there's a testimonial from whoever's got the business and how they were once sick and now they're well, and and they've they've got a, a wonderful product that brought them there, and now they're going to sell it to you and uh, you know, I mean, I'm kind of like, you're you're still actually telling that story. I mean, it's like, you know, and, and I get it. I mean, I mean, some people have epiphanies like that, which is wonderful. Uh, most of us, it's more of a journey than a, an epiphany. I mean, we we all have a certain epiphanies at a certain point in our lives, which is a wonderful thing. But you know, look, the business of The U.S. is business and selling and there are people out there that they don't really care what they're selling as long as they can take your money from you. And, you know, that's just the nature of the beast.
2: It is, it is. (laughs) Super. Well, thank you for that. Alan, back to you. Well,
0: I'll do my world famous uh, closing now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everybody quiet now thank you <laughs> now no comments from the peanut gallery please <laughs> thank you again jeff for being on the local paleo show and as we say in texas A santay, yo." <laughs> uh, w-
1: bueno mucho gusto en tenerme on to to program uh, me gusta mucho los dos mark uh, Lane, sí. Very nice.